0: Hey up, I'm Nathan Human. this is Humanish, The Biscuit Reviews, Episode 5. This episode, two books that take us from a poetic and at times tense story of love and identity in London to a mysterious thriller about a missing teenager in the leafy suburbs around a private school. We start with Open Water by Caleb Azuma Nelson, but if you want to skip ahead, and of course you don't, to The Night She Disappeared by Lisa Jewell, then scroll ahead, 8 minutes and 5 seconds ish. I don't tend to reread books. I will be rereading Open Water. It is one of the most beautiful, immersive, and emotive books that I can remember falling into. Caleb Azuma Nelson drops us into open water in the basement of a London pub. You are with a friend. You notice a woman. You think about the music. Through the second-person narrative, you are the nameless protagonist, a young black British man who comes across his early 20s in London navigating his complex relationship with his identity and city and the young woman that he meets. She is a dancer, he is is a photographer. She waltzes into his life and he sees the picture of her with his best friend. And so the love story begins. I can't provide a neat categorisation for this book, and that is definitely part of what makes it so memorable. It has stayed in my head since I read the final words with a sad but contented sigh. Sad, because the characters and story had taken up comfy residence in my brain, and it was a wrench to say goodbye, but contented. Due to how damn satisfying and nourishing reading it had been. This is like no other love story I have read and everything in it, to me, is familiar but unusual. It is a hymn or a gospel, a prayer to black culture and the experience of being a young black man in modern London. Often in fiction the use of cultural references feels a tad forced, awkward and affectation but here it is imbued in every action the use of musical artists sets the mood, the tone, emotion, and I was grateful for the official playlist as the protagonist mentions specific songs. At one point, the film Moonlight is referenced. Another scene is soundtracked by Solange. Something else brings a memory of a play. And these references are essential to build up the sense of character and who this person is, what moves them, what guides them, what makes them feel. The language and style gives events a heightened feeling. Eating outside with friends on a hot day is elevated into cinema. Sleeping close to each other is balletic. Dialogue full of pauses like Pinter, an emotional outpouring like an opera. This book is so poetic in its feel and prose, and as I was reading the mentions of Drake and Dizzy Rascal Frank Ocean, it also reminded me of the visceral work of Federico Garcia Lorca, and also a little of Christina Rossetti with the repetition and natural imagery. There is a real convergence of classic and contemporary. And this mix of the classic and contemporary suits a story that is both ancient and modern. Memories of grandparents, family in a faraway country brush against the modern world and paint their history over today. Right from the start, the connection between you and the young woman is clear. But so is the tension. She is with your best friend. You are unsure of how to proceed. This tense undercurrent underpins your interactions with everything. The police... The violence, uncertainty about the future. Do you belong? How can someone truly see you when you are struggling in your own skin? The narrative is fragmented and episodic at times, like a photographer's exhibition of snapshots. <laughs> but there is the connecting lyrical thread that joins up the verses and the rhythm of the prose keeps the beat going from pubs to clubs from sun-splashed gardens to cocooned bedrooms and from fast food joints to the barbers the barbers Like the psychiatrist's office, the scenes in the barbers trim away more than hair to see the vulnerability, the bruised masculinity and also the determined heart Now forgive me a little tangent, but I'm a fan of podcasts because of how a great one can pull you in and it's just you and the audio in your ears. And on a long walk, I can be somewhere, someone, totally different and be utterly transported. There is one that has stayed with me for years from a series called This Is Love. A teenage girl, a swimmer, tells her story about a morning swim in the ocean when she senses something beneath her, something big. What follows is tense, Startling, an unconventional story of love. I am not a swimmer. I have not swam in the ocean with something beneath me. But emotions? The compulsion to do something based on a feeling? Yeah, sure. Even thinking about it now, I get this non-verbal reaction. Just a swell, a surge of feeling. It's the closest I can get to describing open water. It is a story you feel rather than one you follow. Sometimes that feeling is like a punch, like when you, the protagonist, are stopped by the police. They. You. The short, disembodied sentences make it routine but quick. Tense. Then the release as they let you go. But the effect of the action is done. To quote the text, you are hollowed out like it was not just your bag they emptied. This book is full of moments like this, where it made me pause, stop, think, imagine, feel. Something so brief, so seemingly inconsequential that sends out ripples. Sometimes there is a big splash, like when his love goes away. He sees her off on the train, and if you have ever waved off your love on a bus or a train, you will know that awful feeling of loss whilst in a public place. To this day, I have a weird feeling at bus and train stations. The description of the tears flowing and the plunge into emotions is deep and overwhelming. Again from the text. It is an ache you have not known and do not know how to name. It is terrifying. And yet, you both knew what you were getting into. You know that to love is to swim and drown. You know to love is to be whole, partial, a joint, a fracture, a heart, a bone. It is to bleed and heal. It is to be in the world, honest. This book is honest and true and this gifted writer makes you live this world, this world where everything feels close, the weather, the music, people, but at any point it could all drop away to the depths. It is a story about being seen, feeling accepted, somewhere to belong. As one of the lines says, you didn't have a home coming into this world, but you're home now, you're home now. I honestly can't recommend this book enough, you you should read it, you need to read it, you, you will read it, obviously. My biscuit rating for this is a chocolate dipped Viennese finger because, because it is elegant and beautiful and the dark chocolate provides just enough bitterness to give a contrast to the other sweetness. Caleb Azuma-Nelson's next book, Small Worlds, is out in May, there's a link on my website. Somehow the last novel by Lisa Jewell that I read was Ralph's Party, released in 1999. If it sounds like a 90s British rom-com then you wouldn't be far off. It focuses on a three-story house in London and the residents who get entangled in different love triangles. The Night She Disappeared on the other hand features a mystery kicked off by an anonymous sign stuck in the ground saying, dig here. may be linked to a teen girl who goes missing at an old mansion called The Dark Place. If they sound like they can't possibly have anything in common, then that would be an understandable mistake. As much as The Night She Disappeared is a tense and suspenseful thriller that grabs your hand and pulls you breathlessly through page after page, it is also a fascinating character study. Sophie is in her thirties and has moved in with her very new boyfriend. Older, separated, two kids as he takes up the position of head teacher at a private school in the leafy village of Upfield Common in the Surrey Hills. The job comes with a house on the grounds where Sophie is hoping she will be able to continue writing her detective books. Clues and pointers adorn the page like you'd imagine Bunting would adorn the village square in the fictional village for the annual fate. I love this. If you were watching this, you'd be narrating to anyone in the room, or like me, tweeting... See, she's not convinced about this move. There's something not right about them two. The novel then switches between the present day, which in the book is 2018, and the previous summer. Teenage parent Tallulah lives with her mum, and when she and her boyfriend Noah don't come home from an impromptu party with friends, her mum sets off, baby in tow, to find out where she is. We then switch back to the present day, where Sophie is warned about the old abandoned house in the woods. At this point, I am already in, but we then go back a little further, before the disappearance, to meet Tallulah and find out why she might not want to stay with her boyfriend, her baby's dad, and who is the hell-raising girl at her school. Part teen young adult-ish drama part Miss Marple-esque pastoral whodunit, and part slightly psychological thriller, this seems ready-made to be a big summer TV series, with cliffhanger endings to chapters and a plot that compels you to try and figure it out for yourself. If you ever watch the long-distance Olympic runners, you get to marvel at how they judge the pace so perfectly never forced or running out of gas, well here it's the literary equivalent, as you are propelled through chapter after chapter with enough left for that sprint finish to the end, and you can collapse the book and take a breath. And if that's all that The Night She Disappeared was, you would be delighted to have it entertain you as you blitz through it, but you lucky readers get so much more, like a Christmas cracker that actually has something useful inside, and not just a crap joke. Lisa Jewell gives you the bang for your book but then provides something to keep hold of. I said you might not see what this book has in common with the rom-com debut Ralph's Party, but getting you to want to spend time with a bunch of people and follow their relationship is a skill and it's one that's carried over here. We don't just get a well drawn and interesting lead character with flaws and desires that clash. We get four. Four fascinating women that are all battling internal and external demons. They are so well drawn and we are given such insight into them that even when the drama heightens and we get to the point where, with a less skilled writer, you might say, what? No chance. With Jewel, it makes perfect sense. Having the four characters' different perspectives also gives us different angles on the various mysteries. Oh yeah, there's not just the mystery of Tallulah's disappearance. That one mystery is the Russian doll of mysteries in this book, and out pop ever-evolving other mysteries. What is up with Scarlet, Tallulah's new rebel friend? Why is that house called The Dark Place and why is it abandoned? Who's leaving clues for Sophie and why is she not telling her boyfriend about what's going on? Look, you'll just have to read it, it won't take you long. I recommend not starting it at night otherwise it will be the night you disappeared into a book and didn't appear until dawn. My biscuit rating? Chocolate malted milk. Addictive. Delicious. I'm shocked if others don't love it. More please. Thanks for listening to the Biscuit Reviews. The written version and previous episodes are on the website at thehumanist.co.uk, where you can find me on social media to say hi and obviously share with your friends or people you don't like. I'm not fussy really. If you want to subscribe to the pod on Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to yours or if you wanted to leave a review at any of those places that would be grand. All the music in this episode is by Ketzer thanks to a Creative Commons license. You can see the links on the website at thehumanish.co.uk. Anyway, I'm off for a brew in a vicky. Until next time, ta